Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the Mid-Alt that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. If you listen on the Entail app, that's E-N-T-A-L-E, photos, links and videos of what we're talking about will pop up as you listen. Have a look. Hello, everybody. Hello. Happy January. I hope you are at least cosy, if not lively. I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine. But I feel like a bear that's gone into hibernation and slowed its own heart rate down in order to survive. Or one of those wood frogs that freezes during winter to the extent that its heart actually stops. And then when it thaws, it, you know, starts leaping about again because I am broadly okay. But my goodness, I am slow. I am shut. The creative juices are not flowing. I just cook something nice every night go for a walk every day, try not to hate myself for not writing another book or learning a language and just, you know, one foot in front of the other. How are you, Em? At least you won't age if you're like a frozen frog. (laughs) You'll just be like cryogenetically frozen. I won't age because I've got so much plump in my cheeks and so much bear-like cushioning going on around my body from all the carbs. Um, oh, thanks, Annabelle. Uh, I'm absolutely fine. Um, But I've got a friction burn and this is not sexy, I've got a friction burn from walking around the park so fast that my foot slipped in my sock so much that I now actually have a kind of like, I've tall, I've sort of burnt the skin off the thing. That's how hard and fast I'm stomping around the park. Storming. Storming. I remember a therapist once said to me, Annabelle, why don't you, when you're walking down the street, just look around and notice the people and notice the sky? I said, I don't walk, I storm. <laughs> I'm laughing just because having walked with you, I know that this would not be possible. It's a blur. You can't see anything. Anyway, this time last year, we recorded a podcast with addictions therapist Mandy Saligari about self-esteem and how we can meet the demands that life throws at us without constantly running on empty. Little did we bloody know. Anyway, now that we have nothing left to give and yet more and more is asked of us, we thought we'd bring Mandy back because she's a badass who helps people untangle their demons and we still need her to tell us how to cope. Mandy, help us. (laughs) Hello. But first... (laughs) How are you? Um, Well, I'm absolutely fine, except that the uh, general message nowadays is basically don't walk on the grass. And that brings up all of my rebellious nature. (laughs) So uh, I am teaching that which I most need to learn every day. (laughs) You just want to go and roll around in that grass, don't you, Mandy? I just, you know, I can see it in your eyes. Yes, it's not not wrong. (laughs) Journaling, meditation, self-care, no grass, don't walk in the grass, no one near the grass. (laughs) Do as you're told. Do you know what I found really acutely about the last however many months slash years slash decades that we've been on this (laughs) corona coaster is I've really been hit more than ever by the phenomenon of the good days and bad days and the good weeks and bad weeks. And I suffer from that really sort of um, insidious disease where if I feel something in the day, I back myself into the corn, into a corner to the extent that I truly believe I will feel that way forever. So that's been super, super intense. I think a lot of people feel that, that they have the good days and the bad days, but the bad ones have been really, really dark during this strange and isolating time. So if you if you find yourself where nothing materially seems to have changed, but something psychically and emotionally has shifted to an almost catastrophic degree overnight or in the space of a minute or a second, 
How can you protect yourself from these extreme descents that we're experiencing right now? I think everybody is experiencing this kind of thing, just like you said. And there are some trite little sayings that, you know, very early on in my recovery that I learned and I just trot them out. I think I've just internalised them, which is one of them is feelings aren't facts. And also this too will pass. So I think that, and sometimes I chuckle at myself when I'm having a good time and I think this too will pass as well. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's not just the bad stuff, to be fair. Uh, but I think just remembering, A, that everybody, it, there was a wonderful Facebook post, we're not all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm, which mm. I thought was a really interesting Facebook post. And where you position yourself in the storm is the only thing I think that we can do because it's what we have to do with the resources around us. I think that realising that when nothing changes around you and it's Groundhog Day, day after day after day, and there are some people I know who are shielded so they're not getting even into their gardens, you know, they're not getting outside at all. They are just seeing same old four walls day in, day out. The next thing that starts to move and shift and change is how you feel. So recognising that you lose the control around changing your environment or changing your kind of day schedule um, means that you'll start to pick away at something else. And what we pick away at is uh, fear based, usually, which is people start to get anxious. They start to pick away at time, money, anything to do with uncertainty because we're surrounded by it. And I think recognising the difference between fact and feeling is a really important starting place, not to dismiss the feelings, but so that you deal with the feelings differently to the facts. Facts have practical answers and feelings don't try and apply a practical answer to a feeling. Feelings need appreciating and handling and containing. Sharing, ringing up a friend, talking, owning, it's funny about feelings, isn't it? Because they 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 feel so um, everything. Huge. And I remember yes. being in a terrible state, really scarily bad way. I'm working with a very very good therapist years ago, and she just sort of almost threw her hands up in the air one day and went, "Annabelle, they're only feelings." <gasps> yeah. And I went, "You're not supposed to say that." <laughs> but it's kind of what you're saying. Sometimes you need to put them in their place, be a bit strict with them, almost, yes. whilst being kind to yourself. Absolutely, because I think that um, it's very easy to indulge our feelings. And I often look at it through the lens of the inner parent and the sort of inner child, inner teenager. I mean, the don't walk on the grass thing is my inner teenager, without a doubt. And uh, and I know how to handle her today, thank goodness. But there isn't a kind inner parent who will say to her, it's just the way it is. So even though I can appreciate that she's stomping around, what I might do and what I have done with my inner teenager is play very loud music in the kitchen when I'm cooking and dance around and leap about and sort of indulge her in a different way rather than her wanting to go and cause trouble somewhere, somehow. But also dancing around the kitchen has quite a good fake it to make it angle yeah, to wonderful. it, doesn't it? You, if you just can get yourself pumping a bit, then you yeah. can end up in a slightly more virtuous circle. Well, also, it depends. I was going to say the music you listen to as well. So if it's your teenager, reach back into your teenage years music and ring a friend that you knew from those days and live it for a moment. How you know, funny, go in my, there. In my, in my daily storm, I've suddenly realised, and you say that, that I've been listening to a lot of kind of Madonna and, you know, stuff that I was listening to when I was 12. 
I've been satisfying my inner teenager by buying a pair of Doc Martin boots to stomp around in. Exactly. And I hadn't, okay, tragically, I was bought a pair of fake Doc Martins when I was 14, which I feel is probably one of the saddest sort of moments of my teenage years. It felt like everything was wrong because, <laughs> and I was wrong because my DMs were fake. But now I'm 46 and I have a real pair and I'm literally, well, hence the, the friction burn, but I am stomping around. And like Annabelle, I am, and now you, I am also listening to music from the 80s <laughs> because... It just feels so liberating. I don't know. I envy your Doc Martin boots, even at <laughs> 13, when they were so viciously in fashion, as you remember. I tried them and they made me look violent. And they still do. <laughs> like, like that woman out of misery. There's no escaping it. <laughs> Whereas I shaved my head and went for the full look. Okay, fine. <laughs> then we you? bow to you. I mean, I've got a photo somewhere. I should send it to you. Definitely send it. I couldn't decide if I looked ill or if I looked violent, but it's a close. It's a close. Probably both. Yeah. To be fair. Told you she was a badass. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it so? As so, as we all know, we're in this sort of holding pattern where we need to, as far as we can, just be steady. Just to try. I'm trying. I'm trying to be just slow and steady. But then what happens? You, you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the vaccine. And for mm. once, the light at the end of the tunnel isn't the train heading for you about to sort of <laughs> flatten you. But it's the, the, the potential for everything to open up again. But my self-doubt is having a field day with that. Because when, it, when the world does open up again, how am I going to be? Who am I going to be? What am I going to be capable of? I mean, I, Emily and I were saying we feel so reduced that it's hard to know how we're going to be able to even get dressed properly. It's interesting, isn't it? Try not to project and jump forward about what am I going to do when, because that's just a way of busying the mind. And figure out which bit of you is it that's asking the question, because there's a central part of me now that gets up and gets on with her day. But I don't want to ignore the other parts of me because they will all, (laughs) there'll be a coup at some point. They'll all gang together. (laughs) They will storm the Capitol. Yes, they'll storm the Capitol, which will land me either in bed or doing something. I don't know what will happen, Um, but there will be something that will happen. So I need to listen. So I proactively tune into the familiar parts of myself that I know are kicking around and just sort of check in with what do you need? Which friend do I want to ring up and talk to? Do I want to go for the dog walk on my own? Or do I want to walk alongside, you know, to meet to the part or whatever? Probably further, actually, and chat to somebody else. And I'm looking at what I need and which bit of me needs it. I think one of the reasons it's, I mean, certainly what my thing is, is if you isolate me, I will isolate myself harder. That's the danger right. that I find myself in. So, um, and I did that last time uh, and I didn't really talk to anybody. So now I'm very much trying to just check in with yeah. people, even even in the knowledge that I have no conversation. But why that's important, is I, what I find sometimes, particularly if you're a little bit needless, wantless, like Emily and I can be, that if you have trouble understanding what you need, the people who know you really well and love you will have some insight into that. Don't you think, Em? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think one of the biggest things is listening to Mandy is that I have felt in the various lockdowns that somehow I need to disassociate from myself and the things that I want in order to get through and provide um, provide the support for the other people around me. And, um, and, and I know that's classic sort of codependent behavior. And, um, and it's true, actually, the moments where I felt sort of weirdly scared, and yet 
sort of brave were when I was alone and feeling at like 1.30 in the morning, waking up and thinking, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? But actually those were true. That was true, you know? Mm. And um, when I check in with Annabelle, for example, and I say, I'm walking alone, I'm doing this or whatever, it does really, really help, right? Because you know yeah. me so well and, uh, and you can I kind mean, of put me back into myself, as it were. Do you think that these isolations have been particularly tough for people with codependency who are who are who are who are locked in with other people i think it's really difficult for people who are codependent because they feed off other people's needs will you just explain to our listeners a little bit uh, you, you know uh, your theory about codependency how what, how it manifests and what it looks like and how we laugh about codependency but actually how painful it can be well codependency comes from childhood when you had a high maintenance family member you see the price the family has to pay and what you do to accommodate that is say it's okay I won't have needs and more than that I will contribute to the family system so you end up being the good girl or the good boy and you end up doing things for other people as a way of feeling worthwhile and getting your needs met so cut to being 20 30 40 years old you are constantly trying to do things for people as a way of being validated so first and foremost when you're isolated that reduces your pool of people to help and second when you're surrounded by family and you're doing that with them all the time if you've got teenagers around, they're going to re reject you because they're going to experience it as micromanaging. So you're going to feel hurt, rejected. You're going to feel that you're being painted into a corner. Why am I being called controlled? I'm just trying to help you do your prep. I'm just trying to check you've got your timetable, your homeschooling. I just want to know what time you want to eat. And uh, the kids are saying, I don't care. I'll eat what I when I want. What does it matter? I'll sort my schooling out. Back off. And the codependent is redundant. So you're left with your own sense of being very depleted and you'll be very prone to withdrawing into a codependent sulk, which everybody feels is a bad mood. But it's actually you feeling useless, not needed, criticised, rejected, all of those things. And the people around you will say, why are you in such a bad mood? Which will just make it feel even worse. Then you feel shame. Yes, I think it's difficult. I think it's really painful. Um, my suggestion is, my immediate suggestion is <gasps> deal with it. It's an opportunity. Codependency meetings through the 12-step fellowships are available online worldwide. So you can go to a meeting any hour, any day of the week anywhere in the world and you can sit in a room anonymously and listen to other people talking about precisely this dynamic. You can fracture your own personal isolation and start looking at, which would be a great thing to do, start looking at your own value and your own worth irrespective of how you might be able to help somebody else. Stick yourself in the lineup and help you now. Such an opportunity because all the meetings are on Zoom. So you can access these resources worldwide at the moment. I mean, it's just, it, it is such an opportunity not to be missed. I mean, I do know a few people who are quietly exploring different and slightly unforetold um, avenues of, I mean, obviously we all hate this phrase, but I'm going to say personal growth in yeah. this winter lockdown. 
in the summer they did in the summer there was much from 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 what I could see and what I experienced much more shame much more why can't I get this right and I can't even get my sourdough right let alone whether it's the homeschooling or the you know creative output or the work or the juggle or the managing my own feelings whereas this time maybe it's because it's dark and cold and we are depleted and we're in kind of emotional debt and there isn't really anywhere to go and also there are, there, there are fewer expectations we're putting on ourselves because we're so exhausted it's an interesting time to explore a little bit quietly this this mm. lockdown don't you think yeah, I do. And I agree. I think personal growth, we call it another fucking growth opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, God, you know, you feel something and it's like, oh, there's another fucking growth opportunity. It's all right. I'm fine. I'm just experiencing a growth opportunity. <laughs> you know, you just when you thought you had it all right and boom, um, that oh. comes up. Yes. I think that's I think that's really interesting as well about the the idea of just when you thought you had it all right. I I definitely I mean I think you know Mandy you know I, I've I've quite a long period of sobriety, um, fifteen years in fact, and um, and in woo. the second lockdown, woo yeah, in the second lockdown I started having um, uh, drink fan drinking fantasies which I hadn't had for you know a long long time, and it's almost like um, the personal isolation you know suddenly all my my addictions and my my concerns and my worries were, were back they were like hi we've been quiet for a while but now now mm. we've got your attention because I don't know maybe lack of busy who knows why but it's very interesting um and I think that that's probably happened to a lot of people as well always the old stuff right yeah you always just, the old always stuff. those yeah. old bastards yeah well, I also think, I mean, in, in my model of care, I have 12 core characteristics of addiction. And one of them is isolation. And I think that uh, when we experience isolation, uh, we look for escape, for relief. And I think it reflects a lack of belief in oneself to cope with what's going on. So if you're experiencing cravings for something that you know isn't good for you, whether that's sweet things, ringing up that guy or that girl, drinking, taking drugs, whatever it is, self-harm. I spoke to a woman who's been um, cutting herself again and she hasn't done it, interestingly, since her teen years. And I said this perhaps, well, let's look at your inner teenager and how that's been brought out right now. But the translation isn't, oh my God, I'm craving alcohol. What do I do about alcohol? It's like, wow, alcohol to me is an escape. What am I trying to escape? What is it that is so uncomfortable for me in this moment that if I face it and go through it, the alcohol will become redundant again? So it's having that ability to see the clue in the craving or in the compulsion or in the distraction or the attentional bias and be curious about it. What's going on for me? Well, my house is clean. I'm sick of cleaning it. My washing is just like turned around. I've ironed everybody's underpants. You know, I'm so bored. What's going on for me? And I think it's a really important question. Who are you? What's going on for you? And why is isolation so difficult? And like you were saying, Annabelle, what's wrong with just picking up the phone and ringing lots of people and just saying hello? Maybe even setting up a WhatsApp group so that you can chat like I this. I think that a lot of us believe that when we are feeling peculiar, and this is why I never, I, I, I must learn to do this when I'm in distress. I never pick up the phone and call anyone. 
it's because you believe that you have to have something to say. And it's just at the point where you are so bereft that you have nothing to say. But that's precisely why ringing when you feel good is the most important. They say it when you come into recovery from addiction. Go to the fellowships when you feel good because it's really hard to go when you feel shit. And it's the same thing, ringing up and having mindless chit chat with someone when you're feeling good and you're just in a silly mood and you're just sharing the buzz or whatever of being in a silly mood. Then when you're feeling low, it's an it's a bridge. You've already established the bridge. It's true. And actually, for me, it was an absolute it was, you know, that once the fear, the initial fear, the initial feeling of having these kind of thoughts again sort of subsided, I immediately knew what to do. It was like a muscle for my friends who have had similar situation, phone Annabelle, phone my husband, phone everybody who, who can relate at this point and tell them exactly what is in my head, even though, mm. you know, to counter the shame that I felt that I, that, I, that I had suddenly gone back 15 years or whatever, and to counter the sort of the, the darkest feeling and the fear that I was out of control in some way, even, even mentally, if not actually, you know? And, uh, and I did, and it worked, and, it, you know, it, it, and I felt better. But it is inc- I know this because I have done a lot of work on it, but I think it's incredibly hard for people who, you know, and, and in isolation, sort of the double isolation problem where you're alone and you then feel shame and guilt about the way that you're feeling and then you, you hide away even more. Mm. I think I have to say for you, it, it, it was, for Emily, it was, I'm afraid, another fucking opportunity for personal growth because <laughs> you reopened the door Yes. and now you're in and, and, now I'm back and, in, yeah. and, and you know you've got your wings back. It's just the strangest time for mm. us to sort of exist with ourselves you know, in, t- in terms of us, in terms of being in relationship with yourself, I'm finding this um, actually right now quietly and, and, and slowly quite useful, but in the summer lockdown, quite traumatic. You know, I was not enjoying myself, liking myself. I was ashamed of myself and I was just kind of short of breath with that. Um, and, um, and, and this, and this is, this is just a, it's just, it's just a little bit different, but we, you know, we all, you know, we, we all have been left to deal with, you know, ourselves, our consciences, the decisions we make around what we're being asked to do by the government, the decisions we make about ourselves in relationship with other people. And there's no way to escape it, to, to blur it out, really. It's just, it's right there. Yeah, it is. And so are all the family arguments that are going on, which I hear a lot about I think that's really hard because again people don't get the opportunity to go and blow off elsewhere so they're caught in the house people slam off to their rooms a parent might go up and try and talk there is no space to process the information that's going on interpersonally and then kids fighting with each other and a parent trying to work I think space time relief all of these things uh, make are making this really difficult and I just keep saying to people just remember represent yourself with dignity and respect allow yourself to be human make sure you honor your self-care some people quite a lot of people actually I've spoken to you said you woke up at one thirty in the morning I've heard about a lot of people who've started working at strange times of day and are sleeping in afternoons and things like that and then getting up in the middle of the night because they're getting better internet because the kids are using zoom in the day and they like the peace and quiet at night to do their work it's quite strange how it has changed our working style if you like and the hours of the day that we're using it's it's almost like 
family houses have turned into sort of weird natural habitats full of wild animals. Yes. <laughs> and you have to sort of respect everybody's feeding yes. rituals, sleeping yes. rituals, you know, yes. fight or flight, and try and have some understanding around the fact that we've all got quite, you know, what's the word? Well, you know, our inner savages are coming out. Yes, I agree. It is. And we, it is quite and we can't escape. Yes. To, we can't escape exactly like you said. You know, we can't put on our shake our tail feathers, put on a nice dress, have a nice dinner, feel like a sort of you know different human, and then go back into the jungle. Instead, we just got we're just there in our yes. you know sweatpants. <laughs> I know. And when I think about um, the light at the end of the tunnel, I have a sort of fantasy about completely reinventing the way that I look, like I'm 15, and that I will actually emerge, you know, with this whole new sort of style. I don't know what it'll be. And it, it won't, because I, I mean, if my wardrobe was baffling before, I mean, I open it now. And, but, you know, I've heard some people say, oh, I'm really enjoying fashion during lockdown. And I just always put on lipstick every day. I don't. <laughs> I also have stopped looking in the mirror, really. I bought a full-length frock as my Christmas present. Yeah, like it's basically a, party a ball dress. gown. It's like a ball yes, gown. But you know that I have a theory. <laughs> I, know, that you, I, know, no, I know, I said to you that you only find party dresses when there isn't a party in the diary. And I did. I have to say, I bought myself a fake leopard fur coat for Christmas. And I love it. And I wear it every day. I wear it all the time. And in the middle of the night, when I get up with my busy head at two o'clock in the morning because the house is quiet... You will find me listening to loud music in my AirPods, jumping up and down outside in a pair of sliders, my nightie and my fake fur coat. And I honestly, I get so much happiness out of that moment. It's like no longer my private secret. But uh, I sometimes stop and think this would look really funny if anybody actually saw me now. I almost think that, you know, that, that we should, we should you know, do, do some sort of video series called Midlife Today. Uh, yes. You know, because that's what it looks like, raving, yes. uh, having, having a silent disco in a yes. nightie in a leopard coat and some sort of quite sort of, quite sort of fly hip-hop slides yes. in, in the garden at three in the morning. That, Honestly, you know. yes. When I wake up at 1.30 tonight, I might put on my dress and have a dance. Yes. And, and then I'll know that Absolutely. you're out there in the world somewhere doing yes. it. And anyone else who is also doing it... You can it, bank on it. Send in a picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm sure I'm sure you're right, exactly. If if you and I are doing it, then everybody lots of other people are doing it, aren't they? Because that's just um that's the I way was so shut start. down I wasn't thinking about clothes or fashion or anything and I knew that I was really shut down because someone had um a, a group of friends, Emily was one of them, a big group of friends for my birthday had organized for me to be given a pair of really beautiful boots that I really wanted but could in no way afford. And they arrived and I knew it was them because I could see the really the, the label on the box and they sat there and they sat there and I didn't have the energy for about four weeks to just wow. take the sellotape off and try them on yeah. couldn't bear to try them on and part of that was because I knew that I was fearful that when I tried them on they wouldn't fit or they would be wrong but if they were good I was fearful that that meant that the only good exciting thing would then be over anyway the punchline is I tried them on they were great and I unleashed hell and I've been on a sort of deranged shopping spree for about 10 days I mean you know <laughs> and um and, and a lot of it will have to go back but it's but I'm taking a little bit of pleasure again in those things because you know yeah. pleasure it's a slightly sick sort of creepy word but it's also quite a nice gentle word and 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 I think that that's important at the moment because it means things like lovely baths delicious supper you know, just a little bit of what you fancy, really. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I have things that I do that I love doing. Like I was saying earlier, I love singing. 
and I have a microphone stand and a small lamp. And sometimes after I've finished doing sessions all day, I'll cook supper. Kids will go off to watch whatever it is they're going to watch or do whatever they're going to do. And I disappear off for a couple of hours in my leopard coat and my microphone and my amp, happy as anything. And I'm connecting to something. I'm I'm not just a machine going through my day. I think that's where people run into a problem is if you do what Em's saying, which is if you dissociate, you will flick into just being a machine. And for me, trouble follows. At some point, if I deny my needs or I ignore them or I neglect them and I don't go looking for them and say, come on, Mandy, come and play with me. I can play with Mandy. So, Mandy, what do you want to do? If I don't do that, trouble will follow, whether it's me suddenly saying, oh, I can't be bothered or I just feel tired or whatever it is or just feeling angry or whatever. Um, I'd much rather do prevention over cure nowadays. What would you say to people who are finding that they're getting quite compulsive? So, for example, the daily walk, um, trying to get to your 10,000 steps has become getting obsessed with the steps and counting, counting, counting and being unable to stop moving. Or, you know, it could be it could be something like you're drinking a little bit too much, you're eating too much, or you're isolating too much. If you if you can feel that what you're doing has slightly flipped into something from something pleasurable into something potentially punishing. Stop. <laughs> I mean it's it really is that simple. Stop. Give yourself a period of abstinence and then start again. Reset. You know, I'm not going to say there are all these things you know, speculating about how much people are drinking nowadays and how much online shopping and online gambling has gone up. And, you know, is it creating a nation of addicts? I don't know. I wouldn't want to say. But what I would say is if you're uncomfortable with your behaviour, then you're hurting yourself. And that's what's important. And it gets harder and harder and harder to come back from that space so the minute you notice it you're better off stopping for something like a week doing something else and then revisiting so if for example you're walking 10,000 steps try dancing listen to music and try dancing whilst you're walking so pavement dancing do a couple of turns well, that's one way to ensure up. that no one will come anywhere <laughs> near you and infect you isn't it <laughs> But what it, and what it does is it just confuses the the whole process because you're doing stuff on the spot and what I'm what I suppose I'm saying is inject what you're doing with fun with pleasure remember you're here to enjoy it try to challenge the machine that's looking to switch off the automatic I've finished work and now I go and have a glass of wine because that's what I do to switch off don't do that come out of work, go make a phone call, you know, walk around the block, do something else that puts you back in your skin so that the alcohol doesn't have the power to say, I'm your switch off button. So you you put it in its place. You're for fun, you're for exercise, you're for, you know, whatever it is, rather than letting these things perform an emotional function for you. Because the minute something is performing an emotional function for you, you have dependence. I love the idea of min of mini of mini resets though. Because yes. I think yeah. when we hear the word reset nowadays, we think, right, when this is all over, I'm going to study law. Or, you know <laughs> <laughs> that we're suddenly going to, you know, going to profoundly alter everything. But mini resets is much gentler and much more doable. 
And also, you know, we are ritualistic creatures. So, you know, it's very easy as we go through our days. Same thing for breakfast, same time. So as you say, the glass of wine, look at the clock. Is it time? Yes, it's time. Feel what what, what me and my friend call the quickening at the back of your head when the sort of vodka Mm. hits where it's meant to hit. And then moving on through your evening. And and all these little, the whole day can become a ritual that in the end will give you less than it should, I suppose, if you're on... If you're on autopilot. I also like the idea of, of hacking your lockdown, of transforming it, because, you know, when we've been going, oh, here we go again, we know what to do. We're going to bake the bread. We're going to. But actually, of course, that isn't going to give us the, the the same feeling as it did six months ago or nine months ago when we first started. So actually, you do have to change it. You can't just go, OK, the way that I'm going to survive this is by doing the same thing that I've been doing every day, because actually that way is misery. And of course that, you know, of course you're going to feel miserable. You're so right. I'm going to hack my lockdown. I am dancing tonight. I love that. The other thing to do is people are getting tucked into Netflix series and Amazon series. So they're watching the same thing. I've had people who have started Grey's Anatomy from the start again, 24 from the start again. And I think that that puts you again into the machine place where you're caught up in another person's story. So have two or three Netflix on the go and alternate it so that your mind is being asked to think, so that you're trying to be present. So you're having to think about the story. So you are present in your life rather than dissociated. Are you telling me that I have to put down Married and First Sight Australia? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Because the I might be done squad. with this conversation. <laughs> have well, you watched the... Money Heist? Have you done no. the Money Heist one yet? Watch Money Heist. It's great. I mean, oh, I, God. I, I, I spent, um, you know, I spent most of the lockdown exactly looking for things that wouldn't ask me to think. Chewing, just chewing gum for my brain so I could blank out yes. in front of them. But maybe it's a good idea to have a... Married at First Sight Australia Series 5 on the go concurrently with something with yeah. a, you know, Queen's Gambit or whatever it might be. Yes. What you're looking at is how do I, I mean, it's, it's the same message right across the board. How do I actually stay present in my life? Because if I'm present, I can handle myself. I can handle my feelings. I can handle the circumstances. If I'm out of my skin looking after you or abandoning my own needs, I'm now vulnerable to something else stepping behind the wheel of my car and driving it without me even realising it. Whether that's alcohol, whether that's self-harm, whether that's depression, doesn't matter. So to proactively be interested in staying present means I have to challenge my routine. I have to shake it up every now and again. I have to look at what my behaviours are and not say don't drink. But if it's getting out of hand, stop do something else and then come back to it and see see how it goes. I think we just have to, you know, create um, interrupt our own rhythm because we will settle down to something that makes us machine-like and dissociated. And I, I don't want that. Trouble follows. <laughs> Usually there's, um, there's some sort of outside um, stimulus that yeah. will either in a welcome or unwelcome way derail you in some sense. Yes. Whereas now, because we are so the controllers of our own tiny destinies yes. in our little houses and flats, Spot um, on. we can become battery operated toys with no soul. Yes. Yes. And when that happens to me, I develop a kind of very miserable, grim determination where I just, it's just about keeping going. There's no joy. Yeah. There's nothing else. Um, so... So you just basically just do something within the sameness, do something a little bit different. Yeah. And write a list of things and just pick one. It's the same as I used to do. I do this a lot with couples um, who are trying to work out their their relationship. When we get to a certain stage, I ask both of them to write down six things privately and they send them to me. 
six things you've always wanted to do with your partner. And they have to be, you know, relatively uh, accessible things that you could do in the UK. It's not let's go scuba diving. Do they all say anal sex? I was just thinking about anal sex. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when they match, it's great. Um, So I I look at their suggestions and uh, and then I say, are you both prepared to, you know, engage or do you both, do you want to know what the other ones are? We can reveal them. But then you print them out, fold them up, put them in a pot. And when you have that moment, date night, time set aside, whatever it is, you put your hand in the pot and you pull one out. And you do it no matter the weather. If it says golf for two hours and it's pissing with rain, you go and play golf. And you are both in the same boat laughing at the fact that Mandy, your therapist, will you're more frightened of her <laughs> than you are of each other. So you go and play golf in the rain and you have an adventure and you get soaking wet. And it isn't really golf, but it's funny. And also the person who hates golf realises that two hours of golf isn't the end of the world. Exactly. So you write down a whole load of things that you are prepared to do. You put them in a pot and you hand it over to high power, as I would put it, or you hand it over to chance or whatever. And you say on those moments where I'm kicking around going, you know, I feel like going down the garden eating worms. I hate life. I hate this. I can't do this anymore. You put your hand in the pot and you do it. And if, and I also think it's nicer to do it with someone. So you ring someone up and say, I'm going to put my hand in the pot. I really <laughs> hope it, I hope it doesn't say clean out the loft. I wish I hadn't put that in there. Oh my God. Don't oh, it's let fine. It say, it's fine. It was loft. only anal sex. It's fine. <laughs> 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 I'm a grown up. It's fine. It doesn't take long. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, on that note, dignified as we <laughs> always are. I love it. <laughs> it only leaves us to say, Mandy, I don't think we could love you more. I don't no, think we could, could we, Emily? No, thank you. As always, I feel so much better. Always. And 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 can we have a solemn promise that in a year or less you'll be back? I I will be back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen. Thank you thank so you. much. You're a Bye sensation. Well. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middult. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought. You are allowed to fall apart. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.